This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Dear Governor is a production of iHeartMedia and Three Mutts Media. If you are moved by Jarvis Masters and his 30-year struggle on San Quentin's death row, and you'd like to support his cause, please consider signing a petition on his behalf. Visit freejarvis.org slash podcast to sign your name to an open letter to California Governor Gavin Newsom. Dear Governor Newsom. Dear Mr. Governor Newsom. This is an open letter to Governor Gavin Newsom. Dear Governor Newsom. There's an adage made popular in 1954 by President Dwight D. Eisenhower that there are no atheists in a foxhole. The idea behind this phrase is that anyone who finds themselves in the position of extreme stress, where death is all but imminent, he or she will seek comfort in a higher power. After being sentenced to death, we've all heard stories about men and women turning to God, finding redemption, or being born again. But there is surprisingly little research to prove this phenomenon is anything but anecdotal. Official statistics on religious affiliations in prison are not publicly available. And there are also those who lose any sense of faith that they once had after being sentenced to death row, considering such bleak and inhumane conditions. Jarvis J. Masters falls into the former camp. He found his religion as the walls of the capital injustice system began to close in on him in 1986, tighter and tighter until they can find him for a lifetime in a 9 by 4 cement and steel wire cage. On last week's episode, we met Melody Irmachild Chavez, the investigator on Jarvis's defense team who first introduced Jarvis to Buddhism. This week, we meet another woman who was instrumental in nurturing and reinforcing Jarvis's burgeoning Buddhist mind. My name is Susan Shannon. I am a Buddhist and interfaith chaplain. I provide spiritual support for incarcerated people and people who have recently gotten out of prison, as well as spiritual direction for the general population. I am also a 
CPE instructor and CPE is a program that chaplains need to go through in order to get certified. So I am actively involved in training other chaplains. When did you begin your chaplaincy at San Quentin? Uh, 2011. And how long did you work with the general population before you started working with those on death row? Oh, I started in on death row almost right away. Jarvis and I started one-on-ones probably close to the beginning of 2012. And we had one-on-one visits every week uh, for, I believe it was a couple of years before others began to want to get in on the fun that we were having. (laughs) (laughs) I understand when you first started your one-on-ones, you were just sitting outside Jarvis's cell door. Not sitting, standing. Standing, okay. And and what was that like? Because I know when I talk with him on the phone, it, it is uh, so loud, <laughs> so yeah. many voices. Yeah. Did did they quiet down so that they could eavesdrop on you? It, yeah. It, so yeah. it was kind of one on. It was one on one, but with like ten ears listening in. Yeah. Well, yes, there was definitely that, and there was also, luckily for Jarvis and myself, Father George Williams, who was the Catholic chaplain there, who put us together saw that Jarvis and I had a lot in common with our spiritual practice. And Father Williams was able to secure for us a small room. And so it was only really one or two times that I had to stand on his front porch, as he would say. (laughs) Uh, And the rest of the times we were able to sit in a small room, which was great. However, every night that I went into death row, I walked by Jarvis's cell And so pretty much every week, whether it was his group that was called for our Buddhist services or not, I would stand and visit with Jarvis. I think I was cleaning the floor. And the Catholic priest, George Williams, I call him Brother George because I didn't like the the term father. So I call him Brother George. And I said, how are you doing? He said, I brought somebody to see you. I said, who? And she stepped out from around. And she says, I think we have the same teacher, and we do the same practice. And if I can do anything to help you, and if you know other people who might need some help, I'm here. And Father George, Brother George, is going to allow me to come in here on the tier and sponsor me. You know, he was going to use his credentials to allow me to come in maybe you and I can do some practices together and maybe you and I can figure out how we can extend this to other people on death row. Jarvis Masters recalls meeting Chaplain Susan Shannon from his side of the front porch. One particular time, it was really, really funny. They have this thing when they call cell front. I think it's called cell front. It's that when you're allowed to sit in front of someone's cell, you know, I never knew I never could imagine, I had been here a long, long, long decades, that they would let her sit on death row, on the tier, in a chair, and we're meditating together. It was just, without the power of this Catholic priest, it would never even begin to happen. Yeah. So that's how much juice he has. So we're sitting there, and, you know, I said, you know, Susan, I know some of these mantras, and... 
you're asking me to say some of these mantras in Tibetan, you know, they're, I learned because you just hear it all the time and it just becomes a part of your, your song, you know? Mm-hmm. And we were doing this and people start laughing <laughs> all over the damn building. <laughs> and I'm trying to tell Susan, because her eyes was closed. I said, Susan, she was doing her thing, you know? <laughs> and I said, Susan, can you hear all these people laughing? She she leaned in. She says, at us? And I said, yeah. And I was sweating all over the place. I was just pouring sweat. I had my whole little natural was wet like I got out of the shower. Because I didn't want to tell this deep practitioner to stop. You're embarrassing me. You know, I, I, <laughs> yeah. do this. I just had to go do this, you know. And I did. I really did. And I was so happy that I did. And I thought if I can do that, I can do anything. (laughs) You know what I mean? You can do anything. Did you guys really develop a friendship? How do you describe that? A teacher-student relationship? I think it's hard to not develop a friendship with Jarvis because he is so jovial and inquisitive and good-humored and deep that he finds his way into your heart no matter what. And as a chaplain and as a female in a man's prison, I always felt like I needed to uphold the best possible boundaries I could. But Jarvis wears his emotion on his sleeve. And as we would sit and talk together, uh, life happens and stories happen. And we would laugh and we would cry and most definitely a very very deep connection it wasn't so much created as much as it was discovered to have already existed before we even met what were your one-on-ones like did you read from texts or at first Jarvis had a lot of questions like many of the men he had seen certain things written but didn't know how to pronounce mantras, for example, or certain Sanskrit or Tibetan words. He wanted to know the explanation. I would always ask him, well, what what are you really interested in? And for a while, we worked on the pronunciation of mantras. For a while, we worked on uh, or shared together the different schools of Buddhism, some of the different schools. Most of the time with Jarvis, And this is what makes him such an exceptional practitioner is he, uh, I was trying to think of how I could articulate this to you guys. He he embodies his practice on a day-to-day, minute-by-minute level. So a lot of our conversations were about things that had happened to him or things people said, conversations he had, challenges he had with other people things he had observed, and what would be the Buddhist approach? And he would talk about, I would ask him, well, what was your approach? And we would talk about his approach. And uh, he always wanted to ground it into some kind of dharmic foundation. And most of the time he was already there. He's a a very advanced practitioner. Explain dharma. Well, dharma is a word that is used for the teachings of the Buddha. 
Dharma means the path, the way. And so if you are studying Buddhism, you are studying the Dharma, the Buddha Dharma. And Jarvis and I both adhere to the Tibetan tradition. In fact, as you may have read, we share a, a teacher, Chagdun Tukku, which is what was my key to going into death row in the first place, convincing Father George that this was a very rare uh, coincidence that Jarvis mm. not only share a same Tibetan teacher, but this teacher gave us both the same practice, the Red Tara practice. So that was uh, really, really profound. And tell me what the Red Tara practice is. Well, Tara is the feminine manifestation of the deity of compassion in Tibetan Buddhism. So Tara is like the uh, the divine feminine, our, our Mary. And Tara's compassion and healing energies as well as her activity uh, energies are manifested in different ways. So in the Tibetan tradition, there are numerous depictions of different facets of the same deity. So Tara's main facets, her main manifestations are green Tara, which is the manifestation of compassion, white Tara, which is the manifestation of healing, and red Tara, which is the manifestation of enlightened activity. And Chagdutuku gave uh, Jarvis and I both the red Tara practice to do. Now, had you known about Jarvis before you started your chaplaincy there? Had you read his books or how did you find that key to get into death row? Uh, my last year of, of a master's in divinity program, I took a prison ministry course. And I found that going into San Quentin, which was part of the course under Father George Williams, was my new monastery. I felt very activated. And I began to read. Um, Father Williams is also a criminologist. And so his course was rich in criminology and all kinds of readings we did. And I found my appetite to be immense and insatiable. And uh, eventually I was led to Jarvis's books, which is where I found that he and I shared the meeting and relationship with Chagdutuku as well as the Red Tara practice. Did that give you shivers when you saw that? It did. And, you know, the truth of interconnectedness is, is crazy. Uh, the other thing about Jarvis and I that we discovered over the years and we continue to, we probably know 10, 12 people in common and, and and that's insane, right? Like a 60-year-old white woman coming into San Quentin State Prison, having 10 or 12 people in common with a death row inmate who's been right. in there for however many years. So the, the times we discovered our interconnections with other people were just mind-blowing and continue to be. So to know that Jarvis had this connection with Chagdutuku made it very clear to me that I was in the right place and that our paths were going to cross. Mm -hmm. And before I met Jarvis, I would visualize Tara above death row every time I walked in and just imagine her sending love and light and healing and divine feminine concern and care and protection to all the men there, never really having in my wildest imagination, how large our connection would end up to be. The more that Jarvis studied the Buddha, 
the more he realized he wanted to share what he'd learned to commune with his neighbors who may equally benefit from these newfound practices. And while pre-COVID, religious services abounded in the general population, this was not the case on death row, particularly for those who did not identify as a Christian or a Catholic. Back in the 80s, there were no Buddhist courses or services at San Quentin, no formal Buddhist teachers or chaplains assigned to death row. Up next, how Jarvis and Chaplain Shannon, in the threat of a lawsuit, managed to change the status quo for those on death row open to the Dharmic path. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. Hey guys, it's Rich Davis from Covino and Rich here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance or any terrain from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew could stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you could sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter what your style, you could drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&Ms, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. For a long time before he met you, Jarvis wanted to, to have a Buddhism class on death row, but he was not permitted to do that. But you were able to do that because mm -hmm. of your capacity as a chaplain. How did that come to fruition? 
towards the end of Jarvis and my one-on-ones, we we always talked about the heart of Buddhism and that which is beyond time and space and beyond form and bars and all of that. And what that is is the the bodhicitta, the enlightened heart, the awakened heart and mind of of the Lama. And we always knew that Chagda Tuku's uh, heart heart mind would not have put us together if it was just for him and I, that was, our Lama was beyond that. And and so we knew that at some point our group was going to grow. What happened was that another inmate on death row who identifies as Buddhist filed a uh, petition to begin a lawsuit against the CDCR uh, saying that his spiritual needs were not being met as a Buddhist. So Pretty much the only thing that gets the CDCR to make any kind of change is that kind of a threat. So that, because I had already been going in, I had clearance to go in, I had all the right paperwork to be considered a chaplain by the prison, even though I wasn't a staff chaplain, because they don't formally acknowledge Buddhist chaplains. It just naturally fell to where our group began to grow, and it it grew rather quickly. How big? Did it grow? In about a year and a half, it went from Jarvis and I to myself and 65 other men. Wow. Yeah. Why is it that they don't officially recognize uh, um, a Buddhist chaplain? It's that they don't officially recognize Buddhism as one of the five main faith traditions uh, that the state prisons acknowledge. And those five are uh, Catholic, Protestant, Jewish, Muslim, and Native American. In spite of numerous lawsuits, they still don't recognize Buddhist or interfaith. However, uh, you could tell by the rapid growth of our group and by the work I did in the mainline, and and just looking around and what's happening uh, across the world, the tools and skills that Buddhism offers are very non-sectarian. They're very uh, useful and adaptable to all other faith traditions. So mm-hmm. it's, it's just a matter of time, I think. Tell me about the first group gathering you had at the Death Row Chapel. Yeah. So it did start slow, and the way that the, uh, even though it grew fast, it started slow, and I'll explain that. The men on death row are organized by the CDCR into groups called yards. And I forget how many yards there are, 13 or something yards. There's a lot of yards, and those yards are organized according to all kinds of things, race, former gang affiliation, um, maybe even uh, crimes, um, people who are uh, disabled, etc. So the rules are that men of different yards can't mix. Mm. So that meant that though I had 65 guys signed up at the most, I could still only see one yard at a time. Mm. The chapel is about, oh gosh, my bad measurement, probably about 20, 25 feet long, maybe not even 10 feet wide. It's an old shower area. And it's in, it, encased in that uh, diamond wire 
that is used for the, the, the bars, the prison cells, etc., including on the top. And up above us always was a guard with a rifle. There's little sally ports that the men were, the shackled men were brought in by their tear guards, who they called, they kind of affectionately called their rides. So um, if somebody was on the second tier, the second tier guard would bring them down, you know, shackle them up, bring them down. I'd be sitting in the, there were five wooden benches bolted to the floor in the chapel and uh, three cages there were, we were never supposed to call them cages, but that's what they were about phone booth size cages in the back. Hmm. And those cages were where the men would sit if they, if I had a mixed yard group, which I had for an entire, uh, for quite a while. So as the men were brought in to the Sally port and led to the cage, I would sit as far away from them as I felt the guard needed me to for him to feel safe uh, mm -hmm. because they're always wanting to protect people. The guard and the inmate knew exactly how to sort of do -si do around to where the inmate would be backed into or go forward into the cage, turn around in one fell swoop move, he would put his hands behind him, the guard would shut the cage and lock the cage and the inmate would put his hands out the little port of, that's about the size of a shoebox and the guard would unshackle his hands. The inmate would turn around and sit down. The guard would lock the little place where the man's hands came out and we would begin. So, wow. and I always have to wear a bulletproof, stab-proof vest whenever I went in. Were you ever frightened? No. There was maybe one time when I should have been frightened. There was, there were some kind of funny times there where when I look back, I think most people would have, you know, panicked. Uh, there was one time when I was with Jarvis in a little room, and it was the end of a nine-hour day. I always had to uh, go in. Um, uh, my times going into death row were... Uh, part of a bigger schedule. So I, I didn't pick and choose when I could go in. So th this was at the end of a nine hour day. Jarvis and I had spent about an hour or so. I was hungry. I was tired. It was uh, getting late. Um, and there was a medical emergency on the ground tier. So the whole prison shut down. I couldn't leave until this man uh, died and was brought out and all this. And so I was there for a long time. Wow. Um, and, and that was fun in a way because it was always fun to be with Jarvis, but it was also hard in terms of uh, keeping my, my blood sugar was really low, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, there was another time when a, a guard uh, who was new, brought an inmate in to the chapel. It was going to be a one-on-one. -on -one. And uh, unfortunately, I knew why this inmate was on death row, uh, which never mattered to me. I mean, I was there as a chaplain to address matters of the spirit and matters of the heart. So I, I had good boundaries around um, all the rest of what comes with death row. Uh, but the guard, instead of 
putting him into the cage, which this man and I had been seeing each other for now probably about eight years. So we knew each other well. The guard just let him go. And so I'm standing there, I'm sitting there. Mm -hmm. And this, you know, inmate who is never free like that around Mm -hmm. a free person, shackled, you know, he looked at me, I looked at him. And we both just raised our eyebrows. It was pretty funny. <laughs> we both just kind of raised our eyebrows in the, and shrugged our shoulders. And the, um, the inmate, was he, he was perfect. He kept his hands behind his back. Uh-huh. And, and he said, um, officer, aren't you forgetting something? <laughs> <laughs> and the officer, I, can I swear here? Can I? Can yeah, I oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> The officer up on the gun, the gun uh, rail up above us, he looks down, he goes, dude, you got to keep them shackled. And and the officer's like, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit, shit. shit." (laughs) He just started freaking out. And I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, anybody else would be scared shitless. And here me and this inmate are just kind of cracking up. Yeah. And he, he, he sits down and, you know, the guard is, I'm sure, worried he's going to be losing his job or getting, you know, that could have been my retirement, right? Yeah. And yeah. we both just see, he looks at me and he goes, man, that's never happened. <laughs> wow. So that was a time when I probably could have, should have been scared, but I wasn't. I was sort of amused. Up next, how the Buddhist curriculum on San Quentin's death row evolved. Hey guys, it's Steve Cavino from Cavino and Rich here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with the new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. When you buy a Toyota truck... You buy Toyota Dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer. Check out the amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day.
See new things. Try new things. Go back centuries while living in the moment. Forge new paths while discovering old ones. Pedal, paddle, and paint while trekking, tasting, and tailoring experiences that transform you into a better version of yourself. Immerse yourself in the world by activating your mind, your heart, and your body on a river cruise exclusively from Avalon Waterways. Save with limited time offers at avalonwaterways.com. Avalon is cruising. Elevated. According to the Pew Research Center, three in four prison chaplains believe that access to religion-related programs on the inside is absolutely critical to successful transformation. Having piqued the interest of dozens of men on San Quentin's death row, I asked how Chaplain Susan Shannon helped develop their Buddhist curriculum to satisfy the array of believers and practitioners. What I found was that as more guys began to show up, there began to be some kind of positioning with the guys. Like, well, somebody maybe came from a Zen tradition or was had read some books on Zen and they thought Zen was all there was, or somebody else came from the uh, Soku Gakkai tradition, and he thought that was all there was. And then there was the Tibetan tradition, and they thought that was all there was. So I, I said, you, I, I saw right away that it was going to be a bit of a pissing contest. And, and I said, you know what? No, we're not going to do that. We're going to focus on what the different schools of Buddhism have in common. And mm. the common goal is to cultivate a warm heart and interconnectedness. And that's what we're going to focus on. So I created this big chart of um, comparison chart of all the Buddhist schools. And I created a 22-page outline that brought us through step-by-step most, if not all, of the main topics that all schools of Buddhism cover and that took us about two and a half years. I gave all the men the outline and I began to go through it. Um, I began to get really good at this because by the time I had eight yards, I was teaching the same thing for eight weeks in a row. And um, it took us two and a half years to go through this. How did you have eight yards in that tiny, tiny room? I could only see one yard at a time. Once the yards grew, I couldn't see a mixed yard anymore. And with this un, this kind of recognition of how the guys were beginning to argue about their tradition, I also made the decision that they agreed to that our sessions were not going to be practice sessions. They were going to be study sessions. And yet, even though they all agreed on that, it didn't happen that way. What happened was I found that they had a deep, deep love of meditation. So what I did was, as part of this 22-page outline, I extracted from Buddhist ceremonies a few of the main elements that I felt were going to be really useful to the men's lives. And this is how we structured Every time that I went there, every, every group, we structured them in this way that began with breathing together with a meditation, began with a meditation where we set our intention and we called in all of our spirit guides, all of the enlightened beings, all of the teachers, um, anybody who's ever taught us anything that related to our own realization. We brought them in. We consciously and verbally brought them a little, little space there. 
And uh, then we would go through some breathing, some posture and breath. And it was the most, this is where beauty comes in. The men dropped into meditation so deeply. And they would sit there and um, I wish, this is something I thought all the time. I wish I could share this image with the rest of the world. I would open my eyes and I would look at these men sitting here and they would be glowing and they would be so at peace. And here they were in the darkest place in the universe, one of the darkest places in the universe. And they would be um, sending love out, sending love out to the people they loved, sending love out to the people they had issues with, sending love out to their victims, sending love out to all the people that they'll ever or never meet. And these men were just just uh, these beautiful, beautiful faces of peace. And so wow. meditation did become an important part of our daily programs. And not only that, but without fail, the entire cell block would quiet down. Oh. And I'm talking 720 guys or however many are in there now. But at the time, it was like 720 guys stacked in cells five tiers high with this amazing cacophony. And the whole place would quiet down. What I found on death row is that it's the razor's edge of impermanence. Life and death happen very regularly on death row. And there is probably not a cell that hasn't had a suicide in it. Mm -hmm. You know, no inmate has control over their life. So mm -hmm. uh, at any given point in time, they could have their cell torn up. They could be taken away for something that they did or did not do. I mean, impermanence is uh, lives on death row. And so... Yeah. So does, however, because of that kinetic energy, so does the power of transformation. And that's mm -hmm. what I was trying to harness with these men was the ability to spiritually transform. You guys are standing or sitting on the rocket launcher here on death row. You know, all you can do really is spiritually transform. And they did. Over the years that I worked with the men, both death row and mainline, the hunger for transformation that I found there far surpassed anything that I ever witnessed in Tibetan monasteries in Nepal. And I just saw this incredible zest and love for, for transformation, for making amends, for really looking at their own hurt and how that fueled them to hurt others. and this deep hunger to feel and heal what they had done in society. So in this regard, people who have maybe caused you the most harm in this bigger picture are maybe the ones who are teaching you the, the most important lessons for uh, going forward. I, I We didn't talk a lot about Jarvis and his spirituality, but I will say that just just now that he is a profound um, human being who embodies his dharma, his, uh, his Buddhism is in his blood, bones, marrow, sinews, and heart. Nothing comes easy in prison, but then to the Buddhist mind, all is a matter of perspective. Following is an excerpt from Jarvis's audiobook, 
Finding Freedom, How Death Row Broke and Opened My Heart, on how he managed to improvise a mala, a string of Buddhist prayer beads, with little access to anything while in solitary confinement in San Quentin. Tylenol Prayer Beads It was past midnight. The prison night watchman was making his routine body count down the tier when I awakened from a late evening snooze with plans to get up and spend the rest of the night doing my meditation practice. I paced the length of my cell for a while, all eight feet of it, preparing myself with repetitions of the Tara prayer. Suddenly I was struck by an idea for a way to make my own mala, my own prayer beads, which I could use to keep track of the repetitions. I spun around my cell, looking for what I would need. Since the very first day of learning this prayer, I'd wanted a mala to help me with my practice. My teacher, Rinpoche, and other practitioners who came to San Quentin to visit me had often offered to bring me one, but prison authorities had denied them permission to do so. I gathered a pair of prison-issue jeans, a Sports Illustrated, and a bottle of Tylenol, and sat down at the front of my cell. I picked and pulled at the seams of the jeans until I got hold of a good piece of thread. I unraveled more than I meant to. Uh-oh. A gaping hole widened down the leg. I'll get another pair somehow, I resolved, and put the thread aside. I opened the Sports Illustrated to the middle and took out one of the staples. I straightened it out and sharpened it on the rough concrete floor beside me. I had to be very quiet. If the night watchman heard these strange scratching sounds, the whole cell block might be searched in a panic. Scraping usually meant a weapon was being sharpened. For almost an hour, I ground the staple on the floor until it was as sharp as a sewing needle. Now I opened the bottle of Tylenol and began the slow process of poking a tiny hole in the center of each tablet. There were a hundred of them. I had to be as careful as a surgeon. First I poked at the surface of the Tylenol, and then with a screwing motion, I made a hole all the way through. Taking the thread from my jeans, I passed it through each bead. All through the night, I sat cross-legged, poking holes in Tylenols and threading them together. It was extremely tedious. My eyes blurred with exhaustion. My fingers began to get sore. I felt foolish. What in the world am I doing? I asked myself. But I kept going, determined to finish. Five and a half hours later, I held my first mala made from trouser thread and Tylenols. I was elated, but when I got up to stretch, my head throbbed. I had an awful headache. I stood silently at the bars of my cell, taking comfort and looking out a window in the opposite wall. A beautiful morning light was peeking in. I wouldn't mind a Tylenol or two, I thought, to stop this pounding in my head. I looked down at my hands. Damn, I don't have any. They're all on this mala. For a split second, I thought the unthinkable. My head was hurting that much. Then I smiled. I realized that after spending all this time making my Tylenol mala, all I needed to do was to sit my butt back down with it and take a few moments, no Tylenols, to do my spiritual practice. Next week, the social psychologist assigned to Jarvis's death penalty case 30 years ago and his groundbreaking research reinforcing the fact that proactive prevention is far more effective than reactive punishment when it comes to reducing criminal behavior. The audiobook of Finding Freedom, How Death Row Broke and Opened My Heart by Jarvis J. Masters can be found at Shambhala.com or Audible. 
We'll link to both sites in our show notes. This episode was written and produced by Donna Fazari and myself, Corny Cole. Our theme song, Sentenced, is compliments of the band's stick figure from their album Set in Stone. Stu Sternbach composed the original music. Nate Dufort did the sound design. For more information on Jarvis and to find out how you can follow his case and support his cause, please visit freejarvis.org. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Are the old world picturesque shores of Europe calling you? Set sail on an adventure with Avalon Waterways. Enjoy an elevated cruising experience. Avalon Waterways offers smaller ships, bigger experiences with fewer people and more of, well, everything good about river cruising. Don't just dream about quaint towns and cobblestone villages. See them for yourself and make lasting memories. Discover limited time offers today at avalonwaterways.com. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity.